1: Sometimes we get caught up in unbelief and we can't see Jesus in the midst of our circumstances sometimes things get out of control we fail to see Jesus in our midst and we fail to remember that he is alive and he's living inside us and he is with us we fail to remember his promise that he'll never leave nor forsake us we fail to remember those things because it seems like everything else is pouring upon us and we get confused and we
0: fall into unbelief Do you feel like the circumstances in your life are too big? Good news, there isn't anything too big for Jesus. The disciples felt this way too when their Savior died, but Jesus did the impossible. He rose again. Today, Pastor Dave will teach how Jesus is in control and will always be with you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 20 as he begins his message, Receive the Holy Spirit.
1: We're going to be in the gospel of John. We're continuing on. And we started in verse one of chapter 20 about this day. And it has been quite a day, quite a day indeed. It had been a long day, but a day full of surprises, a day full of things that were happening. It began very, very early in the morning, that first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and some of the women went to the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid. Their intent was to anoint his body with oils because circumstances had forced them to place Jesus' body in the tomb with great haste because the Sabbath was coming. The preparation day was at hand and they had to get his body in there as fast as possible. They didn't have time to adequately prepare it. So the women were coming back to basically finish the job. But this first day would be different than any other day. It would be so different than any other day. A day that began with mourning, a day that began with confusion, would end up with rejoicing, would end up with joy inexpressible. It would be a glorious day. It would be a wonderful day. This day, as recorded in other gospels, like I said, was full of surprises. You read through the Gospels that there were earthquakes. There were frightened Roman guards. There were angel sightings. There was a foot race to the tomb by Jesus' disciples. Two of the other disciples were so disappointed that they left Jerusalem. And sadly, doubt and unbelief and confusion ran rampant. The main confusion centered around the report that Jesus' body was not in the tomb. And this story that was given somehow changed. And it changed drastically. For one moment, he was taken away. He was stolen. And we don't know where they've laid him. And the next minute was, he's alive. He's risen. So the story had changed rapidly. And some accounts and other gospels say that when the women came back and told the disciples that Jesus was alive, they did not believe. They did not believe for whatever reason. Despite her overwhelming joy, they did not believe her. So confusion reigned that day. But as you read the other accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, other women of the group saw Jesus. You can read that in Matthew 28. Two of them on the road to Emmaus, who was leaving Jerusalem, met Jesus. You can find that in Luke 24 and Mark 16. And even Peter himself saw the risen Lord, according to Luke 24 and 1 Corinthians 15. Peter himself saw it. But as the news spread of Jesus' resurrection, it was received with mixed emotions. It was received with hesitation. For most of the disciples did not believe. They wanted proof. They wanted proof of Jesus' resurrection. Careful what you ask for. Because they're going to get proof. They're going to get all the proof they need to know that their beloved master, their beloved Savior and Lord is not only out of the tomb, but he is alive and well. And they're going to find that out in just a few short verses. So the day had turned to evening. And as we begin in verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. We find the disciples now assembled together behind closed and locked doors, for they were afraid for their lives. They are afraid for their lives. I wonder If running through their minds were Jesus's words, well, you know, the world hates me and it's going to hate you too. And don't be surprised if they throw you out of the synagogue, that they offer you up. Don't be surprised. I wonder if that fear struck their hearts and their minds. So they were behind closed doors. What were they doing behind closed doors? Ever think about that? I think about crazy things. What were they doing back there? Were the ones that saw Jesus arguing vehemently that he was alive? And the other ones were going, now I'm from Missouri, show me. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. No way. Were they still arguing about who was the greatest? Were they still having this discussion about who was the greatest? Or better yet, who would now be their leader? I'm sure several of them stood up and said, well... Maybe they had a debate. I don't know. You know, what were they doing behind there? I could just see Jesus going, oh, ye of little faith. But in the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their fears, and in the midst of their arguing, here comes Jesus. Enter Jesus. And with one word, he calms the storm raging in their hearts. With one word, he calms them down from the confusion and the fear and from, from all the worry and all the arguing. With one word, he calms everything down. He comes in. Let's read 19b. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Wow. I love this. They spent all day wondering if he was alive or not. They spent all day looking for him, searching for him. I'm sure search party after search party went out to find him if he truly was alive. They looked and they looked and they looked, but they couldn't find him. Many wondered, was he alive? And if he was, where was he? Why wasn't he going to show himself? I can't believe that he hasn't showed himself to us. But the Lord came to them. And if you read Mark's account, it's interesting because Mark tells us that Jesus came to them at a time when they had unbelief and hardness of heart. Jesus came to them when they had unbelief and hardness of heart. Jesus met them right where they were, right in their unbelief and hardness of heart. And I love that about Jesus. He came to them when they were at their wits end, just like he appears to us when we've had it and we've come to the end of ourselves. He meets us right where we are, even in the midst of our sin. Jesus meets us there. Jesus knew these guys were frightened. He knew they were behind locked doors. He knew they were afraid of the Jews. But he came to them and he assured them and calmed their fears and said that everything was okay. Just like when they were in the boat. Remember the time they were in the boat and they were rowing and the great big storm came out and they looked out of the boat and here comes Jesus walking on the water. They were afraid. They thought it might have been a ghost or something. But he came and he stood there. And with one word, the waves are calm. The sea is calm. With one word, peace. Jesus comes to us in our darkest hour. He comes to us in the midst of our deepest hurt. He comes to us when we are afraid and we're frightened. And he comes in and he sends one word to us, peace. One word, peace. Now, this is a typical Jewish greeting, because the peace translated here is shalom. It's shalom. But shalom means so much more than peace. Shalom means so much more than peace. It can mean peace, but it also means harmony. It means wholeness. It means completeness. It means welfare. It means tranquility. And this is what Jesus brings into our lives. Think about it. He brings peace. He brings harmony. He brings wholeness and completeness. He brings welfare and tranquility. Jesus is, this is the peace that Jesus promises. This is the peace that Jesus wants us all to have. In fact, a couple nights ago, four nights ago, Jesus told the disciples about this peace. He says in John 14, 27, Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let the be afraid. That's the peace. That's the peace that Jesus gives to us. That's the peace that Jesus wants us to have. It's a promised peace. It's a promised peace by Jesus. It's different than the world gives. The Apostle Paul takes this peace And he calls it the peace that surpasses understanding. The peace that surpasses all knowledge. I can't understand why I'm peaceful during this crazy time. I I don't have this peace. Yes, I do. I have it through Jesus Christ. But I don't know why it's there. Paul said that this peace that he was talking about, this peace that Jesus wants to give you, will guard both your heart and your mind. The caveat is in Christ Jesus. If you're abiding in Christ Jesus, you're going to have this peace. If you are abiding in Christ, John 15, abide in me and I abide in you and you'll bring forth much fruit. This is what he's talking about, abiding in Christ. This is the peace that the world is missing today in the midst of this crazy virus spreading all through the entire world. See, the world can't find this peace. The world doesn't know this peace because the world doesn't give this peace. The world gives you chaos. The world gives you turmoil. The world gives you all kinds of craziness. They don't give you peace. Oh, you think it's peace. The world thinks they're giving you peace, but it's not. It's not peace. It can't be peace without Jesus Christ. You think it's peace, but you look for everything else. You look for the drugs to help you with the virus. That's where my peace is. No, it's not. Our peace is in Jesus Christ. Shalom, his peace. That is in us. That's what we have. You search and search and search the whole world over, through and through, constantly looking. You'll never find this peace without Jesus Christ. You'll never find this peace without Jesus Christ. When Jesus enters a situation, peace comes in. Peace comes in. He comes, the storms of your lives, the storms of your shattered lives. Jesus comes. He settles your hearts. He settles your minds. He settles that on the truth of who he is. And he settles out on the truth of his vast love for you, his great enormous love that he has for each and every one of you. He came into the room that night, came in the room that night. And with one word, the hearts and the minds of those who were gathered there were calmed and at peace. One word. He knew there was unbelief in their hearts. He knew, but notice, notice what he says. He says, peace be to you. He didn't come in scolding them for their unbelief. He didn't come in and rebuke them. He doesn't trash them for leaving him and forsaking him while he was hanging on the cross. Remember, every one of them ran away except for John. He doesn't come and trash them. No, he comes in and he says, Peace. And it's interesting. And I was led to one of my favorite Psalms in Psalm 103. In verse 10, it says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Jesus not scolding these guys for their unbelief. He didn't come in and says, now guys, come on. He didn't do that. No, he says, peace. He says, peace. And then what he does is something that he needs to do for some of them. He's going to give them proof. He's going to give them proof that it is he. It is the risen Lord. He has to give them proof. Look at verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This removed all doubt. There was no more doubt when he showed them the hands and the gash in the side From the soldier's sword. He gave them the proof that he wanted. He gave them the proof that he wanted. The Lord was alive. He has risen from the grave. I can do that. And instantly, their confusion was gone. Instantly, their heartache was no more. Instantly, the turmoil in their heart was filled with joy. Instantly. You know, sometimes we get caught up in unbelief we can't see Jesus in the midst of our circumstances. Sometimes things get out of control. We fail to see Jesus in our midst. And we fail to remember that he is alive. And he's living inside us. And he is with us. We fail to remember his promise that he'll never leave nor forsake us. We fail to remember those things because it seems like everything else is pouring upon us. And we get confused. And we fall into unbelief. But once we remember once we recognize that Jesus is with us, once we remember the the, the nail prints in his hands and the gash in his side, once we remember that our faith comes rushing back and we know that he does have everything under control. He does have everything under control. He is ruling and reigning. And then we can breathe a sigh of relief and do what we sang on that last song. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus must have seen something in their eyes. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was unbelief. I'm not sure what it was. But he felt the need to repeat himself. He feels the need to repeat himself. Look at 21a. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Once again, shalom. He really wanted them to feel this peace. He wanted them to know this peace. Now, please... Please, let's not put the disciples down. Let's not think they're a bunch of bozos because of their unbelief or because of their struggle. You know, we too need to be reminded from time to time of the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. We too need to be reminded that he will indeed calm the storms of our lives. He will indeed help us in the midst of the storm. He comes in there, and he's in our midst in the eye of the most devastating storms. It says the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I bet they were. I bet they were. I bet they were more than glad. I bet that their joy was inexpressible. I bet they were hooting and hollering. They couldn't believe themselves that he was standing right there. And I love John Corson's comments here, and i got to tell them to you. Quote, No wonder the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. If someone died, Jesus could bring them back to life with one word. If they were hungry, Jesus could feed thousands. His provisions are abundant and his presence is a delight. The peace that Jesus was giving them would be the message that the disciples would take to the world. Because the work of the cross is peace. And that's what it says in Romans 5, 1 and Ephesians 2, 14 and 17. And the message that they take and would carry would be the gospel of peace. According to Romans 10, it's the gospel of peace. And they would carry this message. Another commentator said this, quote, man declared war on God, but God would declare peace to those who would believe, unquote. So Jesus came in. He assures them, showing them the wounds on his hands, the wound in his side, and they saw it. And it was truly evidence that it was him, but it was even more important to them. It was even more important to them. They saw the price that he had to pay for their salvation. In my Christian walk, I've been blessed to have two visions, two visions, in the 30 years that I've been walking with the Lord. And in the one vision I had was most incredible vision is I saw Jesus sitting on the throne. Sitting on the throne in all his royalty and all his beauty and all his grandeur, sitting on the throne and it was absolutely magnificent. But as I was watching and observing this vision and just reveling in the beauty, all of a sudden the vision changed. And the vision changed into a lamb. A lamb that was completely scarred and there was blood all over the place. For truly Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain. And when we see him in his glory, will we see those nail prints? Will we see the side Will we see him? Because the scripture says we'll see him as he is. Will we see those things? Will we, when we see him, will we, see, will we be so lamenting because of look at what happened to him? I don't think the reality of the cross, what really took place on that cross, sinks in sometimes. I don't think we, we gather it, what really happened. When we see him face to face, it'll be most incredible. And that's what I envision I envision him in his beauty, but we have to remember, he is the lamb that was slain. They did horrible things to him. Jesus, seeing that the fear had turned to joy, basically is saying, now you're ready. Now you're ready. And he commissions them. He commissions them for the work that he's called them to do. Look at the second half of 21. As the Father has sent me... I also send you. I asked myself, is this when they became apostles? Because the word apostle simply means one who was sent. Is this when they became apostles? Well, could be, could be. But here Jesus gives his disciples and the other accounts say that there were others gathered with them that day, not just the disciples, not just the 10, because remember, Thomas wasn't there. And of course, Judas was no longer there. But other accounts say that there was others gobbled. But he gives them now this privilege to go forth as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. What a privilege, but what a huge responsibility. What an enormous responsibility that Jesus is now giving these disciples. When we realize the magnitude of this commission, it not only gives us great joy, but it becomes extremely humbling to know that despite our shortcomings, And despite all our failures, and despite our unbelief at times, and despite even our sinfulness sometimes, the Lord himself is entrusting us with his work. He's entrusting us with the ability to go, go forth, go forth and tell people about him. He's entrusting us with a message of peace, a message of hope. And he's given that to us. And he says, now here, take it. I'm sending you forth. And we know from from Matthew's gospel that the great commission that all disciples go and make disciples. Go and and make disciples. These guys had forsaken him in the darkest hour. These guys turned their back on him in the darkest time of his human life. They left him to face a crowd alone. They ran off like scared rabbits when he hung on the cross. They ran away. Peter denied him three times after boasting that he would never deny him, but yet he would die for him. But in a few short weeks, Peter would be preaching to the gospel to a crowd and over 3,000 will be saved. Incredible. You are assured
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab.